Welcome to Ask an Ex-Mormon Therapist. I am your host, Jenny Morrow, and I'm really excited to be back today with a letter. Remember, if you've got any questions, go ahead and send them to exmormontherapist at gmail.com. Give me a little bit of context and what it is that you're looking to better understand, and hopefully at some point I will get to everybody's questions. So this letter today comes from someone who did not give themselves an alias name, and so I've gone ahead and given them one, and the name I've given this gentleman is Ready to Grow. So here's the letter from Ready to Grow. He says, I was raised LDS from birth and served a mission as well as various leadership callings at the ward level. While on a mission, I read about Helen Mar Kimball. For me, that can only be described as Joseph Smith molesting a teenager. Joseph marrying a 14-year-old girl made it clear that the religion I grew up in didn't have, quote, the truth. But I lasted through the rest of my mission as a NOM, a New Order Mormon. I returned home and found a beautiful woman that had just gone through a divorce. She was eight years older than me and had two kids. We fell in love and got married and then sealed in the temple. We started a life together a little backwards. We had an instant family and I worked, finished school and ran my own business while she stayed at home to take care of our kids. One year after marriage, we had a baby. Over time, I grew more dissatisfied at church, but let her keep her beliefs and didn't share my doubts. Once our youngest was in kindergarten, my wife went back to school. She began to see some of the same conflicts in Mormonism that I saw, and I finally came clean with my disbelief. Once it came out, we made the decision as a family to leave church. Soon after this, we ran into some old friends that had also recently transitioned out of the church. We had kids close to the same age, and we bonded closely as families. We shared weekends, vacations, and holidays together. I thought we had found a perfect social circle outside the church, and life was going so perfectly, it was hard to believe. Soon after leaving the church, my wife and I began to have serious problems. We fought all the time and suddenly had no common interests. Through this, we pulled closer to the other family that had left the church around the same time. Our daughters were best friends. My wife was close with the other wife, and I thought I had found one of the closest friends I have ever known. Years passed, and our marriage problems continued, until my wife confessed she wasn't in love with me and that she wanted a divorce. I was crushed. I had known something was seriously wrong for years and had even confronted her about the possibility of her cheating. She always denied and dismissed it. We finally decided that it wasn't working well and we needed to get a divorce. Soon after, I then took our kids to visit family without her. Before I left, I had a nagging feeling that I needed to set up cameras in my house. The cameras recorded an affair between my wife and the guy I believed was my closest friend in my own house. They had been cheating on us for two and a half years. My world completely collapsed. My social circle has been completely dismantled after the affair came out as we have shared a close circle of friends. To make it worse, my wife was still in love with him. She moved out of our house and kept communication with him for several weeks. He then went back to his wife and cut off the affair. I did my best to take over as a single dad, but my wife had always been a good mom. Managing the house, kids, and my job was very hard. Once others found out about her affair with him, a flood of other details about his past affairs came out. He had been cheating on his wife for years, including a year-long affair with my wife's sister, 
that over that overlapped the two and a half years that my wife was with him. She was devastated. We filed for divorce, but before it was submitted, she started to date again. Again, I was crushed because she didn't tell me before she started dating. We hadn't filed for divorce and our financial accounts were still joined. This made me feel used all over again. She was still using our joint checking account to help pay for her expenses while she started dating online. This made me feel even more used and I fell deeper into depression than I did after the affair. I gave up exercise and began drinking heavily. Within a few weeks, I rebounded with someone from work. As soon as that happened, my soon-to-be ex decides that she can't live without me and she wants me back. This made me even lower. She wants me back after choosing someone over me for years, disregarding my feelings, and starting to date others. I do love her, but I can't deal with this kind of relationship. When I told her I was dating someone too, she did a 180 and started trying hard to win me back. I broke up with the other girl after two weeks. My wife and I started trying to reconnect, but now I am honestly a complete mess. I can't stand to be with her. She betrayed and lied to me for two and a half years of our 12-year marriage. I have zero trust that she will stay faithful. She started seeing others behind my back twice, and it completely shattered the trust in our marriage. When she started trying to come back, we agreed to start couples counseling. The first session was too much for me. I stopped after one round and asked her to start individual sessions first. I can't honestly see how I could ever trust her after this, but I decided we should try and save our family if possible. Things start going well, and then she asked to move back into the house. The kids missed her, and I missed her. I wasn't really ready to have her back in the house yet, but I let her move back in anyway. Within this whole ordeal, my oldest daughter graduated high school, moved out, and decides not to attend college. We found out later through her friends that she has been using hard drugs like heroin. She wrecked her car and got a DUI. I bailed her out. After she skipped multiple court and bail meetings, she was required to serve further jail time for her infractions. Now she can't drive and is living out of state working in a, working in a bar and is a pretty big mess. My wife moving back in hasn't gone well. Both of us have a lot to deal with and we have been fighting like crazy. My reaction is to stonewall, retreat, and then explode with anger if she continues to press me. I am now drinking myself to death to try to find any moment of escape. I can't deal with this. I would live the rest of my life as a Mormon to not go through this pain. Our extended families are aware of the struggle my daughter has had over the last few years and of our divorce announcement. They see this all as a direct result of us leaving the church. Honestly, I think some of it was caused by leaving the church. I don't think this makes any of the claims of Mormonism true, but my family has been completely destroyed four years out of Mormonism. Our life was nothing at all like this before we left. I think leaving allowed my wife to believe the lies he told her about infidelity and how it wouldn't affect our marriage. It was soon after leaving that my daughter started using drugs with her new non-Mormon friends. Her using started before my wife started sleeping with the person I considered my best friend. My life is destroyed. I have no one I am truly close with anymore. There is distance between me and my family after leaving the church. My oldest daughter is a complete mess and I am powerless to help her other than to offer love. The two people I once counted as closest to me have used me and hurt me to the core. I am trying to keep my head above water for the other two kids, but I am so glad that my wife that my wife moved back in.
I am not a good father anymore. I am depressed and prefer to hide in a bottle rather than deal with any of this myself now. Two weeks ago, I told my wife I need to move out. I can't take this anymore. I can't be here and deal with her pain of being left by him. I feel like I am a complete failure for not stopping the complete wreck that my family turned into. At this point, I think it is best to just give up. I will give her everything, the house, the retirement accounts, the child support. I can't stand the thought of moving out, but without a drastic change in both of us, I can't stay in my house anymore. When I look into her eyes, I see the woman that I love, and at the same time, a selfish, lying person capable of hurting both me and our kids for her own self-interest. I can't believe I gave my life up for a church and a person that would use me like they have. I wish life wasn't the way it is. Please offer any advice you can. I would never have done this to my family. I never cheated on my wife or even had sex with anyone before marriage. Should I just give up and leave, fight her for the kids, or stay in this horrible marriage? I am at a complete loss. I wish for my old life before we left the church every day. I would love any help you can give. Ready to grow. So this is actually quite a detailed letter with a lot of context, and I was really glad that he included so much when I read through the letter because I think it will hopefully allow for me to connect some of the threads. And for all those listening, I hope this will be helpful, even if this is not a situation you've ever been in or will be in specifically. I think there are still some common threads that a lot of us face. So thank you so much. Ready to grow. Thank you so much for sending this letter. And even though the letter was long, I did what I like to often do, which is I like to read through the whole letter first so that you can all get the story, the background, and the context. And then what I want to do is I want to now go through and start to look at some specific pieces as well as look at some patterns that are coming out. And as I go through and give some thoughts, you know, obviously all I have are these two pages of information. So if there are things I say that don't resonate, that don't fit, you know, obviously take what works. And if anything doesn't resonate or doesn't fit, obviously adjust it as needed. Okay, so ready to grow. One of the first things that struck me as I was going through this, um, it was just the, the first time that you mentioned this piece that seemed to have a common pattern throughout the letter, which was that I'm not sure what information you went into the marriage with, but you did mention that one year after marriage you had a baby, you were growing more dissatisfied at church, but you let you said, I let her keep her beliefs and I didn't share my doubts. And it wasn't until she began to see some of the same conflicts in Mormonism that you finally came clean with your disbelief. So there was some period of time in the beginning where it sounds like you were hiding parts of yourself. And... Um, you know, you're not alone in doing this. I even, even since leaving the church, there have been times where I hide certain parts of my own disbelief. And, you know, while we all make our own choices about what we do share and what we don't share and who we share it with, when we're working with our closest partner, which is generally a spouse if you have one, um, you know, what's interesting is to notice how often we hide things from them. And so it sounds like there were some things that were being hidden and you didn't feel safe enough bringing those forward until she first came forward with her own disbelief or her doubts. Um, and so, you know, right away we just start to see that there can be a pattern 
where we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want anything about us to be shown that will cause conflict or will cause problems in the marriage itself. So there's a book I'm going to refer to a few times throughout this episode, and I don't know if I've mentioned this book before. I maybe have, I maybe haven't. It's called Transformation Through Intimacy. It's by a man, Robert Augustus Masters, and in it he describes what he has seen in marriages as four stages of intimacy. And as I read the book, I was really struck by how most of the LDS marriages I have seen are stage two. So stage two out of four stages. And all of the stages are important. They're all part of our development. But what happens is sometimes we'll we'll get stuck in a stage and we'll just stay there, sometimes for the rest of our lives. So a lot of LDS marriages, again, will stay at stage two and they'll just play themselves out at that level. And while we can look back and feel nostalgic for that level, because stage three can actually start to create upheaval. It doesn't have to create big problems, but it usually starts to bring forward conflict that is there, conflict that is a problem, or or parts of us, undeveloped parts of us that need to be further developed will often come forward in stage three. Stage two is all about keeping the peace. It's all about putting the relationship first. So if we have needs and they don't feel like they're aligned with the relationship, then we stuff those down and instead we just focus on the relationship. In stage three, what starts to happen is our needs come forward more and the relationship is still important. So stage three is really trying to find some equilibrium between our needs and the relationship needs. So it's a space where we start to say, I'm no longer going to give myself up for a relationship. And it sounds like on some level, this is what's been happening very subconsciously under the surface. And again, we can blame this all on shifting out of religion. But you know, I mean, there was something that happened where you had been feeling dissatisfied with church or with the LDS religion. And once your wife acknowledged that, you know, once the both of you had acknowledged, we're not feeling satisfied with this. It was like something about that moved you. And I think it it kind of moved both of you and it probably propelled you without a lot of preparation into transition out of stage two. And it's just looked really, really messy. And I think that, you know, this can happen because a lot of us, you know, especially if we grew up with this kind of modeling of a stage two relationship and haven't seen the growth through out of stage two into stage three, out of stage three even, and into stage four. I mean, so very few of us have ever seen that. When I read Robert Augustus Master's book, it was like, this is it. This is the kind of relationship I've always wanted, but I so rarely see it. I just, it's hard to wrap my head around how, how you even get there. And so I've done a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work to prepare myself in my relationships to be able to to have a stage four relationship. But, you know, I mean, this stuff's in front of my face every day and I get to think about it and work on it. And for a lot of people out there who are listening, you know, there's it can feel like there's no resources to work through this. All, all you know is it feels like a bomb. It feels like a fucking bomb has gone off. And you're not sure how to piece things back together. So while it can seem like it's just total devastation, one of the things I'm sensing is there is an opportunity here ready to grow. There is an opportunity here for you 
to grow. There's an opportunity for you to go through, go through these growing pains and to come out the other side much more clear and much more ready to live an adult life. And so I want to just acknowledge a couple other little pieces where this pattern was happening. And as I do this, knowing this isn't to shame what was happening. This isn't to shame you or to shame the pattern. You know, we just are where we are in our awareness. And sometimes we cannot see it more clearly until we're down the road further. And we look back in time and we have more information and more development. But one of the things that you talked about was after you left the church, um, you started fighting all the time and suddenly had no common interests. So, you know, right away there was a difficulty with knowing how to stay connected. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds like you turned to this other family to kind of find connection and enjoyment and happiness when you weren't quite sure how to do that within the marriage. Um, and then you said years passed and our marriage problems continued. And at some point your wife confessed she wasn't in love with you and wanted a divorce. Um, and you said that you had known that something was seriously wrong for years and had even confronted her about the possibility of cheating. So, you know, I know you said that the cheating went on for two and a half years. I'm not sure how long the struggles in the marriage were happening. It sounds like it was prior to that. It sounds like it was pretty much right after you left the church. You said soon after, you said soon after leaving, my wife and I began to have serious problems. So, you know, this is part of what's tricky is if we have been mostly modeled stage two relationships, we haven't been shown that when there are problems, they need to not be ignored or denied. And often we need to get help and resources to work through them. But a lot of us don't know that. We just, we try to do the stage two thing. Like, let's just bury the conflict. Let's just not rock the boat. Let's just, you know, even if we're fighting, even if this is happening, let's kind of deny how, how bad it is. Because any conflict that's not getting resolved needs probably some support and work. But again, so few of us saw this. We didn't see it modeled to stay present and to face and to say, you know what, something is going on here in our marriage. This is not, we're not sharing the same love and connection we were before we left. And let's go in and get some support and get some counseling right away to work with this disconnect that's going on because we're not sure how to reconnect here. You know, instead, years can go by and and we don't take it seriously or face it because we think we can fix it on our own or, I, I don't know, it's often kind of a denial that's going on for us. Okay, so it seems like this was kind of the first layer was this shift out of stage two stuff and you're starting to move into stage three. You're both kind of starting to face your own needs a little bit more. This is often a natural response to leaving religion in general is you're taking a step for yourself. You're taking a stand for yourself. Um, but then it can be tricky to figure out how to maintain both a relationship with our own self and our own needs and maintain relationships with, with someone else, especially with another close partner who's living with us, building life with us. So yeah, this whole thing can feel very, very confusing under the surface. Um, but it sounds like this is some of what was happening. So that was kind of the first layer. Then the second layer was this cheating situation, which you ended up finding out when you'd set up the cameras when you went out of town. Um, and so at this point, you found out that this had been going on um, for two and a half years. And, you know, obviously that makes sense as to why that would just be completely devastating. You said, my world completely collapsed. And, you know, the social circles were very intertwined, and so that's impacted that as well. 
And like you said, you know, your wife, you said to make it worse, my wife was still in love with him. So it wasn't like she was ready to work on your marriage. It wasn't like the two of you were ready to go, God, you know, things have just blown up here and now we're ready to face this and see if we can make things work. I mean, there was just still a lot of messiness going on. And so I think, you know, this all can just be very confusing. And it sounds like this second layer of cheating that came forward was just devastating. And it sounds like the betrayals continued a little bit because you mentioned that um, you decided to divorce, um, but before it was submitted, she started to date again. Um, and she was no longer dating this man who she had the affair with. It sounds like they'd found out that he'd had affairs with other women, including her sister. So just a lot of things going on for her. She's devastated about it. You file for divorce. And she's, so she starts dating again before the divorce is final. And you said, this makes me feel used all over again. Which it would, you know. So you can kind of acknowledge that. Like, oh, yeah, that feels icky. But then you went on and you said... This made me feel even more used, and I fell deeper into depression than I did after the affair. So almost like uh, maybe something going on here in regards to more information coming up about reality and reality of this situation. So maybe, you know, sometimes after the affair, well, sometimes there's still numbness or there's still hope that maybe this can all get worked out. Maybe it's just this one guy and she's still she still loves me and we can work this out. But then to have her go and date other men before the divorce was final, you know, it might've just been a real hit that like, Ooh, this really is where she is. Her attention is not on me. It's out there on other men. And, um, that can feel very crushing. And the reason I'm talking about this in layers is because I want to look at, you know, how sometimes this can get going. And even for those who are listening who are in this same level of a situation, you know, Sometimes what starts to happen is we start to betray ourselves early in the beginning <clears throat> by denying what's happening, by denying the initial problem, right? We just try to stuff that initial problem down. I'm not going to look at it. I'm just going to keep moving forward. And so as I'm saying it right now, I can feel kind of an awareness of even in my own life where there's something that needs to be addressed with with someone I care about. You know, it's just so easy for us to just... Let's just pretend that piece isn't happening, right? And so it's really tricky to stay really, really present and to say, wow, I want a good relationship. I want a good marriage. And, you know, one week or one month of things being off is enough for us to face it. You know, that's really what what we're wanting to start to get to or we're wanting to start to say. And this is what this part of us that wants to grow and evolve, that's where it wants to go. You know, and that's why when we ignore or we go into this place where we just get passive, right? We pretend like things, we're okay with things as they are, but something in us is going, no, I'm not okay with this. <laughs> and so when we get passive or we get aggressive, again, remember both are kind of two sides of one coin. So we can get aggressive trying to control our spouse, trying to control the situation, a lot of arguing, a lot of conflict that doesn't work. So we get passive again and we can flip back and forth in this cycle, you know, again, for years. But then what starts to happen is it really does erode the love and the connection. So even if you were more holding and attached to the commitment than she was, what was happening is this deep safety 
this deep level of trust and commitment and love where, wow, we're both open with each other and we really talk about what's happening moment to moment, day to day. We, we don't ignore problems. We have support for it. You know, when that's not happening, the love and the connection can start to erode. And so, you know, it is very, very painful to realize that, wow, I'm feeling used, I'm feeling cheated, I'm feeling betrayed. And what's really tough is sometimes to do that mirror and turn that around and find that, wow, on some level, I've been using me. On some level, I've been betraying me. I've, I've just put aside my needs. You know, when the fighting started, I put aside my needs. And for years, things were not good. But I didn't know how to face it. And, and in a sense, betrayed myself and used myself to just keep the marriage alive because the risk was too scary to be transparent and say, we either have to get help or I want to be done because I, I don't want to exist in this space. And so, um, and again, we don't have to shame ourselves for that. We're coming out of stage two, and that can be one of the disadvantages to not having models for how to transition and how to go through this. But I'm sensing that some of the deeper depression that was spiraling, because you said, you know, when you found out she was dating, you said that this made me feel used all over again. Um, you started falling deeper into depression than you did even after the affair. Um, you said you gave up exercise, began drinking heavily. And then you said, duh, 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 duh. oh, you had started, re you'd rebounded with someone from work. And then it, pretty soon after that, your ex decides she can't live without you, wants you back. And you said, and this made me even lower. So at this point, you can see the spiral is just going down. And what's tricky is it just so much time had gone by. There's just so much stuff that needs to be addressed. This doesn't mean it could never be worked out. I have no idea what, what is possible or what the potential is at this point between you and your wife. Um, that would really depend a lot on the individual work each of you did. And then based on that, what would the reality of the relationship be? You know, would it be a place where you both can be yourselves and still care for the relationship? And so... You know, who knows whether that's possible. That really does take doing more of our individual work. And this is, again, part of, the, part of what's scary about moving from a stage two to a stage three relationship, and again, eventually to stage four, is oof, once I start being more, more myself, will my partner, will this relationship be able to handle that? So, for example, if I've been in a relationship where I just keep my mouth shut, like I, I don't... Um, speak up too much if I have a difference of opinion, I don't say it, right? Suddenly we're moving into stage three relationships, someone's saying, you know what, I'm not going to hide myself anymore, I'm going to start speaking my opinion. The fear is, if I speak my opinion, can the relationship handle that? And we can go through some really good work to learn how to speak our opinion, not aggressively, to learn how to speak it in a very assertive and centered way, and then we find out if the relationship can deal with that, or if the other person in the relationship can then do their own work so that they can hold me as a new person, me as someone who now speaks my opinion. Um, and so whether, you know, whomever in the relationship is going through the growth, whomever in the relationship is starting to move, you know, before the other, sometimes we almost hold ourselves back if that's starting to happen for one person because the fear is, oh, if I grow, if I evolve, if I become more me, can the relationship handle this? It's, it's a very terrifying experience because it is a risk. There's a vulnerability, which is um, just because I decide to grow does not mean my partner will decide to grow. 
and evolve. And if they want to stay stuck, then their relationship will not be able to handle my growth and evolution. It's just how it is. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to shame whomever wants to stay stuck. They, they might need to for a while. There might be reasons why it's not time for them to open up into a more expanded relationship. And so there's no shaming of that. It's just the vulnerability and the reality. But I'm kind of sensing at this point, you're both, you know, at this point of the letter, both you and your wife are just, ugh. You know, you said, I'm honestly a complete mess. It sounds like she was all over the place and back and forth with all sorts of stuff. So my sense is that you're both just kind of in these whirlwinds. I'm actually seeing like a whirlpool. You're both just in whirlpools and just, just kind of drowning in some ways. Then you mentioned, you know, when she started trying to come back, we agreed to start couples counseling. And you said the first session was too much for you, and you asked her to start individual sessions first. And one of my questions was, um, what about you doing individual sessions as well? So that might be something to also look into. You know, she's the one who was doing the cheating, and so I get that. But also to be able to say, okay, what is my part of this whole pattern? And it's not your fault she cheated. That was her choice. That was what was going on for her. Um, but there's always patterns going on when someone's cheating and hiding it. And so patterns of um, ignoring emotional needs, patterns of ignoring red flags, you know, there's all sorts of patterns that go on. And so it may be helpful, as important as it is for her to have individual sessions, my sense is it's just as valuable and important for you to have some individual therapy work. And maybe, maybe you are doing that or we're doing that. But I would say that would be something to um, get into right away. You said things start going well, and then she asked to move back into the house. And you said you missed her, the kids missed her, so there was that going on. But you said, I wasn't really ready to have her back into the house yet, but I let her move back in anyway. So again, this is where we do what we're accusing our partner of. This is when we betray ourselves. Right? I wasn't quite ready for it, but I let it happen anyway. So these just are things where we start to pay attention. You know, Where do I betray myself? Where do I not hold true to my needs being as important as the needs of the relationship? That none of my needs get buried anymore. None of them. Um, and then you move into um, your daughter, your oldest daughter, and kind of all that, you know, this mirror that was going on of her being out of control the hard drugs, the DUIs, the jail time. And you said she's a pretty big mess. A couple paragraphs before you said, I am honestly a complete mess. So you used both words to describe yourself and your daughter. Different situations going on, but she may be a mirror right now for the out-of-controlness that you're experiencing. Because um, it sounds like you said your wife moved back in and it hasn't been going well. So probably, and you probably sense that, you know, it's probably why you weren't ready to have her move back in. It most likely wasn't, um, there wasn't enough foundation for it to be a helpful thing yet. You said that you're currently drinking yourself to death and trying to find any moment of escape. Down later on in the letter, you said, I'm not a good father anymore. I'm depressed and prefer to hide in a bottle rather than deal with any of this myself now. Um, and so, you know, one of my senses, and actually I'm not going to put this advice piece out yet. I want to go back first. Um, you said, I can't deal with this. I would live the rest of my life as a Mormon to not go through this pain. And I guess as I read that, the thing that's popping up for me is, oh, I so get that. 
and my experiences have been different than yours, but when I transitioned out of Mormonism, there was a lot of loss for me. There was a, the loss of the person I was dating. There was the loss of certain relationships they, the way they were. So, you know, and I had had a lot of preparation prior to leaving. I had been going through my own therapy and coaching for, for about three years prior to leaving. So I had a really pretty good foundation going, and there still was a lot of loss. But what I would say is, you know, it makes a lot of sense that we want to just kind of live the rest of our life sometimes in this space because what we feel like is if we hadn't left, then I wouldn't have had these losses. I wouldn't have be having to go through this. But what I'm sensing is that what Mormonism does, it can hold us in this, quote, child state. You know, it can hold us in this space where something is surrounding us with this bubble of uh, what looks like protection and safety. And all we have to do to stay there is, you know, give up parts of ourselves. We have to kind of hide some of our needs. And, and I'm not saying this is true for everyone. There are some people who choose to stay Mormon for their own reasons, and they're still letting themselves grow up and move through the growing phases. I mean, it reminds me of graduating from different places, whether it's elementary school or high school or um, leaving a job or anything like that, where, you know, we were gaining things there. There were things there to learn and there were things that helped us and supported us. And when we choose to leave that level or leave that experience in order to expand more, in order to embody more of who we are, you know, it can provide different challenges. But with Mormonism, it just is such a strong hold on keeping us in our child state, on keeping us in our childhood wounds. And so in a way, acknowledging that I would live the rest of my life as a Mormon to not go through this pain, in a way what we're saying when we say that is I would choose to live the rest of my life in a less aware state, in this child state, rather than go through the growing pains. And again, it makes sense when, when the growing pains include a bombing of your entire world. And so, you know, I give you just a lot of acknowledgement that this is a full kind of full life bombing experience for you. And so you're going to want to acknowledge that that is a part of what's making this so difficult. And so I'm not talking about leaving Mormonism and getting stuck in growing pains. I'm talking about, you know, what what is the possibility of us leaving Mormonism and going through the growing pains, including whatever bombs or losses are there? And what does it look like to come out the other side and to grow up? Because again, Mormonism can hold us in a child state, which can mean even our own parents who taught and raised us were being held in a child state. And I would say that it's not actually... Mormonism's fault so much as Mormonism is a match. Um, but if we're using the religion in any way, shape, or form to protect us or keep us safe because we don't know how to stay safe outside of the religion, that's good information that we have not yet going, gone through the growing up phase, including the growing up pains that are there to be gone through. And so, yeah, Mormonism looks very uh, attractive still because it's what would then keep us safe. And what's tricky in your situation is it sounds like that that's just not the option. Like life thrust you out there. You and your wife kind of took some steps and it thrust you out further into, okay, we're going to develop ourselves further. We're going to grow more. We're going to grow up. 
you know, into adults who know how to be safe without religion. Um, but it just kind of thrust you out there. You didn't have a lot of resources. You didn't know where to go. So it can be very confusing, and you're kind of dealing with the all at once. And I think this is also true for your wife. You mentioned, I think, leaving allowed my wife to believe the lies that he told her about infidelity and how it wouldn't affect our marriage. And yeah, my sense is that, that it looks like leaving was the problem because within Mormonism, right, there were all the, quote, rules and regulations. But it sounds like, you know, what most likely was the issue was that she had not yet processed monogamy. And she didn't yet understand how affairs and cheating actually affects a relationship. Um, again, we don't have to face this when we're in the church, when we're in an LDS faith or another faith that's giving us the rules. We don't have to process what is monogamy or what are multiple partners and what are the benefits and disadvantages to each and what is it I'm really looking for out of my life? What kind of monogamous relationship do I want? In Transformation Through Intimacy, Robert Augustus Masters talks about a kind of monogamy, right? A lot of us um, are in what he calls a traditional monogamy, which is really stage two relationship, or maybe stage three. Um, but a lot fewer people move into this deeper, more conscious monogamy, where it's being chosen, not because it's, quote, the right thing, but because there's a reason why you're wanting monogamy, and it's because we're both willing to become more authentic, and monogamy can give us a space in which to do that. It can be deeper and deeper safe space in which we be, can be show up more and more as ourselves. But the only way to get there is to practice honesty and showing up as ourselves. I mean, your wife didn't know any of that. You know, she wasn't there yet. And so, yeah, I think it's tricky because the rules helped, right? The rules helped when no one taught us how to process things on our own and get really clear about what we wanted out of life and how to go through experiences and learn from experiences in a way that helped us get closer and closer to our dreams. Okay, so now I'm just kind of talking and rambling and sharing a lot of stuff that may or may not be helpful. Let's move on to something that I think is really, really important for you. You said um, a couple of things. Well, if more, multiple times you mentioned turning to drinking. You said, I'm not a good father anymore. I am depressed and prefer to hide in a bottle rather than deal with any of this myself now. Um, and you'd also mentioned... I was going to read a couple other times when you talked about turning towards alcohol to cope. Um, anyways, my sense here and what I would just say is get yourself to AA immediately. Get yourself into AA right away. Get yourself into counseling. The alcohol is a replacement in some ways for Mormonism, and it's a way to not face growing up, which again can happen if we stay in a religion with lots of rules and we don't have to face growing up. We don't have to face figuring out what kind of life we want for us and how to do that. Alcohol does the same thing. It keeps us from having to feel the things we don't want to feel that can help us, that can help us to learn what is it we're really wanting and how to get there. So I would say get yourself into treatment right away. And, you know, that is the best thing you can offer to your daughter and to any of your kids is for you to go through the process of growing up. And your wife may choose to go through that process herself, or she may not. And, you know, that's not something you'll be able to control, but it's something that you can go through no matter what. 
Um, and I'm glad you mentioned two weeks ago you told your wife you need to move out and that you can't take this anymore, and that sounds like a self-care move at this point. You said that you feel like a complete failure for not stopping this complete train wreck, and my sense is that you could not have stopped it. This is the bargaining part of the grieving process where we say, if only, if only I could have stopped this from happening, if only I could have done it differently in the past, and my sense is you couldn't have. It was just what it was. And for whatever reason, you're going through this process in a way that's like a, yeah, it is a full blowing up of things. But I, I don't sense that that means that you can't come out the other end with a lot of peace and eventually even experiencing a life that ultimately feels very fulfilling. I just think you're going to have to do the work to get there and you're probably going to need a lot of resources. And, you know, just to kind of go through some of the last few things that you mentioned you said, at this point, I think it is best to just give up. You know, you can just notice that part. What's the benefit of believing it's best to just give up? We can check in. What's one of the seeming benefits? If I believe it's best to just give up, then I don't have to do this work. And we can feel terrified of it. We don't know how to do it. We don't, you know. But my sense is the reason why it's feeling best to just give up is because you're probably tired and because you maybe haven't had a lot of examples of what comes out the other side of going through the growing pains and really moving moving out of that. So yeah, my sense again would be to get into treatment and community work is important. That's why a group like AA can be helpful. I know that they are God-based depending. There's also secular ones I believe you can look around or, you know, create a higher power that's just, you know, day-to-day based. Your higher power could just be reality, something like that. So again, I don't think AA is the ultimate answer for people. I find that people who go through the process of treatment, this is just a step. But it's important to have community. It's important to begin to see that we can, you can go through these growing pains and come out the other side. Yeah, the bargaining is happening, wishing you could have stopped it, wishing life weren't what it was. And all of that's okay. It just is showing right now that you're coming more out of what maybe has been kind of a denial phase and going into the bargaining phase of grieving. And all the phases are important, so there's nothing wrong with any of them. We can just acknowledge, wow, I'm bargaining. I'm wishing life weren't what it was. I am thinking if I could have done this differently. And I think as we move through the bargaining phase, it's just a part of the process of really starting to see, wow, this is reality. And I, you know, I can't turn back time, which means I can't change it. It's not possible. And, you know, my hope would be down the road and you know there's more to move through before you get here though you could though you could start to give this some attention and some meditation um, but down the road at some point you'll be able to look back and write down 50 benefits to being betrayed you know and even if it's nothing else then being betrayed helped teach us how to stop betraying ourselves and because that's the only way to ultimately have the kind of life we really want is to stop betraying ourselves And so be fair to yourself and be fair to her. You know, when you say, I will give her everything, the house, retirement accounts, child support, I just want to, ugh, I just want to give up. You know, my sense is practice not betraying yourself. You know, you don't have to betray her. You don't have to betray the love. You don't have to betray the relationship, even if it ends up in divorce. So you can honor her and you can be fair to her, but you can also be fair to you. So one of the, one of the themes that seems to be coming through is just a lot of not knowing how to be yourself, how to stand up for yourself, and to be fair to you 
and give yourself space as much as you're giving someone else space and as much as you're giving a relationship space. And I'm just sending so, so much hope that you will be able to find this process really beautiful in the sense that it can bring you back to you, to where you don't need to harm yourself anymore. You don't need to drink your life away. You don't need to religion your life away, but you can come into you, be you, be comfortable with you and go through some of the growing up that maybe you couldn't do as a child because your parents were in their own childhood wounds and their own childhood state and didn't know how to shift yet. You know, many of us have built parts of our life from our childhood wounds, not yet from our more adult space. And when that happens, you know, when we come up and bump up against the things that bring up our childhood wounds, it can destroy the parts of our life that we built with those childhood wounds. But the benefit is it leaves space for us to build a new life with our our more adult, clear, aware, and grown-up space. And so I hope this is helpful. Get in, get some help, get some treatment. Whatever your wife does, you know, that's her process. And maybe the two of you end up together, maybe you don't. Um, But I send you both a lot, a lot of care. And to everyone who's listening, you know, go through the process don't let, don't let the, the pains of it stop you. Don't get stuck in the growing pains. Move through them. Get support. Get resources. There's way too much out there for you to get stuck. There's way too much support. There are so many people who've gone through this before you. You can do it. I promise, promise you can. And I hope it was helpful for everyone listening. Sending you lots of care. Until next time. 